0: Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay
1: with us as the suns gets set to shine. Here's Mary.
0: Cigar heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got him. He got
1: him. Into Booker. Here's the three. Tuesday. <laughs> Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley, a.k.a. Podcast Boy, and I am joined, (laughs) as always, by my co-host, you know him, You love him. His name is David Nash. David, how are you doing?
0: Well, plenty know me. I don't know if anyone loves me, Max. but
1: Everyone loves you, man. I'm the (laughs) only one who ever gets criticized for this podcast ever. (laughs) Everyone likes you.
0: Yeah, but you've also got the cool nickname, which I'm very jealous of. So uh, it's a trade-off. But I'm I'm doing well, Max. We get a, a holiday season here sort of... Thing As I was explaining to you before we hit record and uh, I'm enjoying the long weekend uh, with a friend's wedding in between. How about you? How are you going?
1: Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, I want to let any listeners know who are American. In case you don't already, go look up like what other countries get in terms of holidays and leave. <laughs> it's, uh, we, we don't get as much. I'll just say that. But uh, I'm doing well. Uh, it's been another two week layoff for us. Uh, we're going to try to get a bit more consistent going forward. Yep. David, we're trying. We have real lives, unfortunately, but we're going to try. Uh, but today I'm really excited about this episode, David. We're we're going to do two sort of fun things that are uh, l- looking forward in the offseason, but also looking at the playoffs. So we're going to start with a high-level look at this offseason for the Suns, mm-hmm. kind of based on how the lottery will shake out. So we'll run down three scenarios. We'll run down if we win the lottery. Uh, we'll run down if we finish in the 2-4 to four range. And then we'll run down how the 5-7 to seven, uh, range would look for us.
0: Yep, I think a, a good tie into. The fact that we've been doing less pods, Max, is that I think we're coming with some good good ideas and content and we're certainly enjoying ourselves when we do get a chance to do them. But mm-hmm. as you said, I actually had a look back. We didn't actually start this pod until a month's time from now, Max, where we did a a mock lottery. So we're essentially going to be ahead with some plans for a few uh, draft episodes coming up before, you know, our one-year anniversary. So we're going to have plenty of time to talk off-season with just playoff basketball and no Suns basketball to talk about at the moment. It's almost our birthday. (laughs) Exactly. Uh,
1: Yeah, you previewed it. So our second segment's going to be sort of playoff-focused, so in the general NBA vein, but also we're going to try to find some Suns the tie-ins for the things. Just kind of like what we're observing and how it, how it fits into the Phoenix Suns in their off season.
0: Yeah, you and I have spoken about it. I'm sure the listeners who are watching, you know, other playoff games as well are feeling it too. You, you can't help but think about Phoenix Suns related things when you're watching the playoffs, whether it's mm-hmm. how games are, you know, panning out or, you know, certain players that might be available this offseason. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I guess we're going to tie into those more general conversations, Max.
1: Yep, we are cursed to look at everything through Suns Coloured Glasses. (laughs) All right, David, before we get into anything though, maybe a little recap?
0: Yeah, well obviously no Suns games anymore, this is really the first kind of transition episode after the final end to the season for the Suns, and because of that there hasn't been a lot of news either, unless you follow the clickbaity stuff online at the moment, which I'm not going to do. So (laughs) I thought we'd just run through the key dates coming up for the off-season, obviously with it being playoff time, Max, it's not a good time for Suns basketball, and we've kind of learned that for the last eight or nine years, but this is our season coming up, Max, that we've learned. Uh, You know, the Suns season is all about the draft and free agency Mm -hmm. and hope for the future, so May 14 is the first key date around our first birthday, Max, and that'll be the draft lottery where we find out our fate of where that pick is going to land, and then the combine happens Pretty much directly after that, from May 14 to 19. The NBA finals, I believe, are slated for the very end of May. May 30, I think, can be the latest date that that starts. June 10 is a key date, Max. That's where all these guys that are currently declaring for the draft, that's their deadline to pull out if they don't like Mm. what they're hearing from the combine and things like that. So, you know, that's probably not going to affect the likes of Zion Williamson or Ja Moran at the top of the draft. But, you know, maybe some guys that we'll be looking at for our second round pick or, you know, possible trade back scenarios we might need to factor in there. The last possible day that the NBA Finals can be on is June 16, Max, and then the draft follows that straight away on June 20, so pretty keen date for me there. I always take the day of the draft off here in Australia, so Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll be having another reaction pod to whatever's happened then. July 1, obviously, everyone knows is when free agency begins, and the moratorium ends on July 6, when guys can actually start officially signing Max, so... Plenty of dates for the next couple of months, and plenty of pods for us to work in around those.
1: I can't wait. This is one of my favorite parts of the year. I think it is for all nerds. <laughs> it's our season, Max. <laughs> it really is. Uh, the first that you mentioned is the one we're going to focus on today. the, the May Fourteenth lottery. Yep. Uh, we're like I said earlier. We're gonna we're gonna do three different scenarios. We win it. We do well in it. We do poorly in it, I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, Before we get into any of it, though, David, I I don't know. I think I have sort of a weird feeling of this lottery compared to everyone else. Everyone seems as nervous for this one as ever. I'm actually not that nervous for this one because we have such a low chance of getting Zion, and I, I care so little about the rest of it that it's almost like I'm almost going in a little more carefree than usual.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm probably similar to your feelings. I think things are overly negative. I I quite often laugh about how pessimistic Suns fans are in regards to the lottery, considering we literally won it last year. And you (laughs) kind of see things like, oh, the Suns will never win the lottery. And I guess lightning striking twice is going to be even harder. But we have just as good a shot as anyone. But as you said, the the odds are flattened out now. And it's going to be... As a person who's always loved the lottery, even when the Suns, I guess, weren't in it, Max, I think I'm excited for this one just because there can be absolute chaos on the night where, you know, there's a team jumping from God knows where and, uh, you know, maybe even three or four teams at the top there that didn't have the the better odds. So from that perspective, it's going to be exciting. But yeah, I agree. It's kind of Zeon. Zion, I should say, or Boston, uh, that kind of takes the pressure off a little bit, as much as I would love to land the number one pick.
1: Yeah, so I guess we're, we're on the same page on this one. Uh, so let's start with there. Let's start with what happens if the Suns land Zion. We actually get the first pick. And before we get into this at all, let's just get this out of the way. They're going to take Zion if they land first. Every team would take Zion. Yeah. When you have a guy like Zion in a draft, you don't look at your team needs or your team fit. You take the once in a decade freak of nature. Everyone does that. Every team. The discussion's done.
0: <laughs> it really is. I, you know, I laughed at the the ringer's draft guide where they kind of, you know, said every team <laughs> should <Yeah>. draft Zion. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, I've mentioned it a few times. I think I really hope whoever wins the lottery, and if it is the Suns, I just hope they declare it on the night because you know, there's two months. I guess if we look back at those dates, I just rattled off between the lottery. And the draft on no one month I should say, sorry, Max. But you know, even that's gonna be long enough for people trying to write articles about doing anything other than drafting Zion Williamson at the top.
1: They're not gonna say anything. The team that gets the number one pick loves to have their little circus for the next month where they bring the guys in to make a big show out of it. Yeah. So unfortunately they're not gonna do that. They're also, you know, maybe trades or whatever. I mean, obviously I would not trade the Zion pick, but maybe somebody would. So you gotta keep all the possibilities open. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to actually, you know, what happens if we get the number one pick. First out I want to ask you, you actually had this question to me, and we'll start with you on it, though. What do you see as the biggest weakness in Zion's game right now?
0: I think I've mentioned this before, so it's probably not a huge surprise to anyone who listens to us regularly, but I think the obvious call is always going to be shot mechanics, and that's always going to go to the deep three ball, and, and everyone's going to look at him as being a you know four, maybe sometimes three in the NBA, and therefore he's going to need to be able to shoot. But for me, it's actually... Starts earlier than that with the free throw line stuff, Max. I think Mm, he's mm. 64% at the free throw line... LeBron, as his comparison, I guess, was 75% in his rookie year and 73.6% overall for LeBron's career. That's kind of your baseline, if you're Zion, in my opinion, because this dude is going to absolutely live at the line. You know, We saw it in college. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen in the pros as well. He's going to get hacked going to the basket because he's such a good finisher as well. So he's going to have to improve that for me. That's Kind of the base, and I guess if we're talking overall shooting mechanics, that ties into the, the longer ball stuff as well. But that's definitely the biggest concern for me going into his rookie year. What about you?
1: That's a really good one because people think about, oh, he can't shoot the three as being the problem. I don't think he ever needs to shoot a three, but you're right. It'll really limit his effectiveness if he doesn't shoot free throws better because, as you said, he's, he's going to be there a lot. Yeah. Mine, actually, I went a little differently because, uh, you know, everyone knows about the shooting, although you had the, the right take on it that it's more about like free throws. For me, it's kind of his handle, and I don't even think his handle's bad at all. It's actually it's actually pretty good, yeah. especially for a player of his type. But in the half court and like the playoffs, like I keep watching these games. You know, when it when it grinds down a little bit, like I'm not concerned about Zion in transition in the regular season. He's just going to be ridiculous. But in this, you know, the slow down pace, half court style, you know, in a, a tight regular season game or any playoff game. How well is he going to be able to maneuver in tight spaces with the ball in his hands? Yep. I, I, I think he'll be able to do it to an extent. You know, to a certain uh, extent, he just overwhelms people with his with his size and quickness. But still, I think he needs to tighten it up a little bit. He needs to be better with the ball in his hands to really be effective in that scenario. So that's one thing I'll be watching. It won't affect him early in his career, but it will affect him later.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and there's kind of two tie-ins there. There's, you know, how do you build a team around a guy like mm-hmm. Zion, and do you kind of half-ass it, or do you kind of go, this is our guy, and we need to make sure all the other pieces on the court fit his game, and he's got the space to work in. So that's kind of one question, and then, you know, a tie into what we're going to be talking about later with the playoffs, is playoff basketball is so different to regular season stuff, and mm-hmm. you can build a team to be decent for the regular season and get yourselves to the playoffs, and then everything's magnified, you know, we're seeing that in these series, is any little weakness is exploited from certain teams, so again, you know, do you want Zion next to Aiton if Aiton doesn't extend his range out and can't create the space, you know, do you have the proper guards with Zion or is he, you know, being asked to, to handle too much where, you know, that weakness is maybe exploited a little bit, so yeah, I think that's another great point from you, I think a guy, one college season could do whatever he wanted in high school and From the improvements that we've seen him make to his game, even from high school to college, I've got no doubt that he'll be okay there, but definitely worth noting. He's not a perfect prospect by any stretch of the imagination. He just happens to be at his peak, way better than anyone in this draft class and, and way better than a lot of guys that we've seen in probably the last four or five years.
1: Yeah, there's no such thing as a perfect prospect. It, the thing with Zion is that the package of his athleticism, which is unmatched by anybody ever, except for maybe LeBron, plus his IQ, plus his motor, it's like he's a can't fail prospect, but can't fail versus perfect. that's not the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into this, David. We talked about Zion. Let's talk about how we would build around him a little bit. Mm-hmm. First, you know, you you're the cap guy, so let's get into some of the cap stuff because there's been this big question over whether we could keep Oubre or not. And you know, the answer is always, of course, we could. But, you know, is it still realistic? So takes, for the listeners, explain kind of how Zion would affect our cap situation going into the summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, wherever we fall in the lottery, it's going to be a couple of mil. Um, between I guess the first pick and the seventh pick for mm-hmm. what's going to come off our cap sheet so the rules have changed a little bit on this in the the most recent CBA I think it is I think before you could kind of hold off signing your rookies and uh, therefore have no money against your cap sheet going into July if that kind of my memory serves me correctly there Max but now the whole 120% of the rookie scale goes against your cap from the moment that you draft anyone in the first round so no matter where we pick whether it's Zion at one or you know someone at seven we're gonna have anywhere between 10 million and and 7 million come off the books uh, or maybe a little bit lower if we get to six or seven but I'm I'm trying to be hopeful here Max but um, (laughs) that that kind of means in our scenario where cap space isn't I guess, as big as what we would have expected with a roster like this, Um, you can kind of get down to really only having 10 mil in cap space before moves, I should say, though, because there's been a few things written and said recently about how the Suns have no cap space, and whilst it's true from a black and white standpoint, we'll probably get into it. There are things that you can do to free up money. It doesn't mean that they're just not going to bother trying to sign any free agents this off season.
1: Yeah, no, if Kevin Durant wants to come to the Suns for some reason, they, he, will be, <laughs> he will be on the Suns. They can make that happen. There's things yeah, you can do. Exactly. But So I think the real interesting question is with Kelly Oubre, not so much because of the Part of it's because if you get the one pick, like you said, it's ten million dollars. But also because he brings a lot of the same things as Zion. Obviously, Zion, Zion, that the same guy. Yeah. But Ubre he's your he's your sort of like you know wing who's like, but he's bigger than a wing sort of a lot of times. Ubre's more of a wing than Zion is. Zion's more of a big. Mm-hmm. But still, he brings the energy stuff. You know, he's sort of a defensive focused guy a lot of times. He's the guy who you know keeps everyone else in lines. But they, just, they have a similar. Elements where they bring to your team, which is why it's tougher that if you're going to get Zion, and you know you're paying him 10 million this year, and then you know going forward even more. Giving Ubre, you know, say it takes 17 million to keep him, it, it gets tougher to justify.
0: It does. And I, I've spoken to a few people on this. I think you know realistically, as you said, it does hurt the chances if they get Zion at number one. Obviously, you're not going to root against a scenario of landing the number one pick just to keep mm-hmm. Cali or possibly keep Cali Ubre, but you know, I think. If that does happen, it from what I've spoken to with a few people, it it just depends on money more so. I think Max, I think that's as you were just alluding to, it becomes a lot more about money and other possible free agency acquisitions as well. If the Suns kind of get a sense that they might be able to land a couple of other guys that they prioritize, then maybe Kelly goes even a rung or two further down the food chain, but yeah, I don't think we can just put a line through his name because, you know, personally for me, I think, you know, I'd lean heavily on, on both just from a culture and effort and, Mm -hmm. you know, high character standpoint. I think that's how you turn this thing around with getting rid of some of the dead wood that's been on this bad roster for the last three or four years and having some fresh faces around the the pieces that you want to keep. So obviously I think the question I'd throw to you, Max is, Say the Suns get Zion and can offload TJ Warren for free, or relatively for free, we're talking about kind of a salary dump with maybe attaching a, a low pick or something. Mm-hmm. How much more than the 10 mil that TJ gets would you be prepared to pay Kelly?
1: Interesting question. In the scenario where we have Zion? Yes, and before I answer, I'm gonna answer, but real quick, I just want to make the point. I don't want people to think that I'm down on on getting keeping Uber even if we get Zion. Yeah. I just think it's like a 99% chance we keep him if we have the second pick or lower. And like maybe more like a 70, you know, 65-70% chance if we get Zion. But anyway, moving on from that, I think the most I would I'd have a hard time paying him more than 15. Yeah. I think there's a chance he ends up being worth more than 15. But I don't want to pay him at his best possible outcome. You know what I mean? You want you want to leave in the possibility that he'll outperform his contract. Yeah. So I'm getting nervous. I'm getting to like 17. I mean, listen, if I'm the one making this decision, it's going to be really hard for me to say no to signing Kelly Wait back. I, I just love the guy. I think he's great for this team. I think he's you know he really is the kind of guy you can change the culture around. Mm-hmm. But hell, man, it's just going to be really hard to pay him seventeen or eighteen. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I I pretty much agree with those sentiment. I think if if you can get off at least TJ and and maybe him and Josh Jackson for something, mm-hmm. I think you know for the next couple of years it's uh, it's a no brainer. You know when we're talking about Fitz and Zion and Kelly and you know you really shouldn't be thinking about next season. Like you're going to make that work. The Suns don't have enough mm-hmm. NBA talent for that to be a problem. What we're really talking about is. As you say, if you're paying $70 million for Oubre in kind of year three or four of this deal and you're trying to build the pieces around Zion and Booker and maybe Aiton as well, as we were talking about before, putting the right pieces on the court, then you maybe get stuck a little bit. So it's really important. I think it would be even more important that it's a declining deal, which we've mentioned on this pod before for Kelly Oubre. And then just don't overpay. And then you can always get off Kelly At some point, you know, when it makes sense for the team, as I said, like year three or four, as long as you don't overpay. So there's been a few examples of that in recent history with restricted free agents. I think, you know, Brooklyn were throwing all those deals out. Tyler Johnson was one of them. Uh, Otto Porter was another one. Uh, Alan Crabb, I think, was another one. And then he eventually made his way to Brooklyn. Anyway, so you know I think particularly if you're being forced to match something by another team, there's going to be a real question there of don't just match because another team's had an offer for Kelly, and you kind of makes you think that I oh, will be able to get off on him to to some other team in a few years if we need to because you know particularly in Tyler Johnson and Crabs scenarios. You know, they became contracts that needed to pay something to get rid of them or take another bad contract back. Whereas, I guess Otto Porter still had some value, even though his contract was probably a little too large, Max.
1: You touched on something in there that I think is really interesting. I hadn't thought about this yet. If we do win Zion, really the desperation level generally for the franchise goes way down. Yes, we're not nearly as concerned about like being you know close to the playoffs next year or anything like that. Like, we have Zion Williams, and like it almost like you know gives you a few more years of leeway for the rebuild in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting point. So that that's that is key. I hadn't thought about that. But let's move into uh last thing I think on the we win the lottery scenario. <laughs> yep. We really haven't talked yet about if we do win Zion, uh, you know, take, let's put Uber to the side. we us stop thinking about him for this question. What is your biggest goal in the offseason in terms of building the team around him? What are you trying to do?
0: Uh, point guard, Max? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, you've got three. All NBA type talents on the roster already in Ayton, Booker, and Zion. And they're all going to be reliant on having a glue guy, I suppose. Not a glue guy in the sense of why I call Mikhail Bridges glue, but a point guard who can facilitate to all of these guys. Not a rookie, not a young guy. A guy that knows that his job is to go out there every night and get these three guys the ball in their spots. Because, you know, as good as. Booker's passing is Aiton's shown some flashes of passing and Zion's probably going to be an above-average passer for his position as well. They're not point guards and they're not guys that know how to run the team and, you know, kind of share the load amongst this really talented team all of a sudden. So that would be the thing. And then, you know, something we're probably going to touch on later is obviously shooting as well, Max, because that becomes a premium around these guys as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, you basically just run out my notes. Of course, this wasn't the most, you know, amazingly hard point to figure out in the world. <laughs> and, and I, I would ex- uh, expand beyond just point guard. I mean, definitely point guard, but just guards in general too. They just need better guards. Yeah. Uh, better guards, better shooting, and better playmaking sort of across the roster just generally. Yeah. Uh, higher IQ players, all that. Totally agree.
0: Quick early playoff, I guess, observation here before we jump into it later. I tweeted this earlier today with Callan Olsen's poll about uh, whether you would take... SGA over Bridges basically was essentially the kind of crux of the poll there but you know if you're watching these playoffs as a Suns fan and not kind of saying I wish we had more than one and a half guards on the roster then you know I don't know what you're getting out of these playoffs as a a Suns fan because it's just so obvious it's you know guards are are just dominating the play at the moment and uh, you know this is the pointy end of the season.
1: Yep we're going to get into that in a couple different ways because that is that's really the most glaring observation and uh, real quick before we move on to picks 2 through 4 I want to apologize to Kellen Olsen, who got mad at me for, I guess, he thought I screwed up his poll by retweeting it and saying that <laughs> I like Bridges and Dutchess, But You're skewing the results, Max. <laughs> <laughs> he got mad. All right, let's go on to picks two through four. So, David, it's interesting. I think that this is, this is like the mean. So, of course, you'd rather have a two through four pick than a five through seven pick. Yep. But you're also in more dangerous territory. I think if you're the two through four, you can screw up your future worse. Yep. Because um, you put a lot of stock into another not sure thing rookie. And it doesn't work out like you're just, just delaying the inevitable even further. It, it would not be good. But uh, mm-hmm. all right, enough of that, David. How are things shaping up for you two through four? If the Suns land in that range, or who are the guys you're looking at? Maybe start at two, and, and then I'll just talk about four. I'll,
0: I'll test your knowledge on my nicknames here, Max. Okay.
1: Two is Jesus. Okay. Uh, I think. Oh, it, that's uh, it's RJ because of the whole like Godfatherish thing or whatever, right? Yeah, he's God's Godson, Max. <laughs> right, right, right.
0: <laughs> Three is Firefest. I, I guess that's Morant. That is Ja Morant, and four is Silk, which I know well, you where, know that. Why
1: one. is Morant Firefest? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll probably get into it talking about Morant, but I, I'm a little worried, as a lot of people are, <laughs> that he's he's all hype and, and not going to be able to produce when it comes oh, to man. it.
1: That is tough. That's that's the meanest thing you've said about
0: anybody on this podcast Well, the the Jar also lends itself to the nickname, obviously, with Jar (laughs) jar Rule being (laughs) the the head of Firefest. So there's a couple of tie-ins there. But I'm not totally out on Morant by any stretch. I I probably shouldn't be too harsh with the the nickname there. But, yeah, I I am a little bit worried about uh, him from a, you know, kind of hype standpoint from the, the tournament and things like that. But, yeah, I've still got Barrett at two. And... Uh Culver at four, which we skipped over very quickly there, but how does it shake out for you?
1: So you previewed this uh earlier on. We're gonna really dive into the draft of the next few episodes, so I, I suspect that these things may all be changing. Yeah. But at the moment, I think one thing that I'm not gonna change, I'm with you on RJ. I think that RJ is pretty clearly the second best prospect in this in this class. I, I think people have gotten too down on him because he was in a people think this is crazy when I say this. He's in a bad situation at Duke. Yep. They were they were extremely talented. But they were kind of similar to the Miami Heat of the, the first LeBron year where a bunch of stars didn't know how to play with each other. Uh, it, it's, like, a good situation talent-wise, but not really in terms of, like, how you make it work-wise. Yep. They had no shooting either. Like, RJ, at the end of these games in the tournament, I'm sure you watched a lot of the, the you know, the Michigan State game, the, the one against Taco Fall. I can't even remember what team he's on. It was RJ having, like, kind of just drive it in. And there's nothing else to do. He had no space because they had no shooting. Like, RJ just really didn't have a lot to do. Uh, and he still had an incredible freshman season, yep. uh, stats-wise, especially counting stats-wise, but really any kind of stats-wise, he was really good. Yeah. Uh, and he again, he was a young freshman. Uh, him and Zion are about the same age; they're both babies. I, I think that people were too down on him uh, because of some of the you know efficiency stuff and also some of the decision-making stuff. When a lot of times I don't think he had the right decision to be made.
0: Yeah, and that kind of ties in for me with a, a guy like Cam Reddish as well. I think you know probably the. These top end guys were ones that I was already diving into, you know, before the college season started. Whereas, you know, as you said, I'm probably gonna change my mind as we go along and, and talk to some people about the draft as well. On some of these guys that are back from, you know, four to maybe the end of the lottery. But I would encourage anyone to go and look at what R. J. Barrett did for, say, the Canadian national team against the US team, you know, with a team that was kind of built a little bit more for him where he could be the, the lead focal point because that Duke team was just a disaster from you know a fit standpoint with those top three guys and how they all kind of mm-hmm. are prepared to play with each other. So, you know, we saw some negatives and some potential problems with a guy like RJ in a a high volume situation and high usage. But yeah, I just, you know, I'm not sure whether it's the most, I guess, prudent draft strategy here, but it really takes me back to last year with Dontich and Aiton. I was really only prepared to use a number one pick. On both of those guys because I really thought after watching everyone they were the only two deserving of being chosen at number one and Mm -hmm. you know this is kind of how I feel about the second pick here is I'm really scared of taking anyone at number two other than RJ Barrett just from a kind of potential ceiling standpoint
1: Max yeah I think we're both on the trade the pick uh, bandwagon if if possible but uh I'll, I'll finish up my my top four here uh I think I'm gonna have Moran at three I, I don't know. Again, this is one of those ones that I'm going to go back and forth on. Yep. It's really just a pure talent play. Like the dude's ridiculously talented. Yeah. I, I, for this, for mo- for a lot of teams, I might even have him above RJ because I think the ceiling might be higher. I think he might might be a, he could be a really crazy good player someday. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he's going to be very good at all right away. And the Suns. They, I'm not sure they can struggle through a year with a 19 year old point guard who wears, uh, who weighs 180 pounds or whatever he yeah. weighs. Like, well, I'm if, not sure they can do that.
0: Here's a question for you, Max. Let's say you know Booker keeps on on the curve that he's on, and and Jar ends up being every bit of the player that I guess people who think he should be the number one pick, you know, ends up being. But what's kind of a, a current NBA equivalent backcourt of those two? You know, we probably should touch on the fact that Morant, is kind of a below level deep threat at the moment, and Probably just doesn't grade out to be a, a good defender in the NBA at all, based on what we've seen so far. He does have size. I think he's like 6'3. So there is a little bit of hope there for him versus someone like maybe Trey Young or uh, Garland in this draft, maybe. But, you know, who in the NBA, who's the, the good backcourt that Booker and Morant could compare to?
1: I think, and I, I haven't thought about this before, so this is just the first one I can come up with.
0: Question without notice, I'm sorry. Yeah, no,
1: I, but I think I came up with one that makes some sense. I, John Wall and Bradley Beal, maybe? Maybe the closest thing I can think of?
0: Yeah, okay. John it's Wall, yeah, the, the
1: physically overpowering point guard sort of guy who can't really shoot that well, but he overpowers people, and has actually has really good passing. I can imagine, because John Morant's passing is underrated. Yeah, and then you have a Booker, you know, the Booker Beal comparison is pretty obvious.
0: Yeah, I guess John Wall did stop playing defense at some point, but probably as a <laughs> as a draft right. prospect was you know a, a little bit better on that, and than, than John Morant, I think he kind of has all defensive. Potential, But, you know, injuries and effort kind of caught up with with Wall there. But, yeah, that's probably a good And I would
1: say, Morant's more an effort thing, right? Morant probably could be a good defender. I mean, he's a physical freak. But he doesn't, I mean, but I always am careful with stuff like this because everyone thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be all-defense just because he was athletic. I think that Morant might be somewhere in that range where, yeah, yeah, can he jump out of the gym? Of course he can, but is he really? Does he have the lateral movement skills to be a good defender? Like, there are different kind of athletic traits that make you a good defender from someone who can dunk on people. Yeah,
0: and you touched on the the other side of the coin. There is it does appear to be all effort, which is a really hard thing to gauge from watching college ball. Very good tie in with Devin Booker there. He was on a bad Murray State team in a high usage offensive role where that team wasn't going to do anything unless he you know, did everything on offense that night. So mm-hmm. trying to project out how he might be a, you know, be able to improve on defense is, is pretty hard. But at least on what I've seen so far, it doesn't project to be great on that end for him.
1: No, I, I totally agree. All right, I'm, I'm going to move to number four here, David. And, and this is where I might break your heart a little bit and break my own heart. Uh-oh. I, I'm souring a little bit on Jarrett Culver, David. It's uh, a little bit. Still I'm souring a little bit. Here, I, and I, let me tell you why. I don't think he's Josh Jackson at all. I, I don't. I think he's a much better decision maker than Josh Jackson. Mm-hmm. I think he's a better ball handler. I think there's a lot of things he does better. But I am a little concerned about the guy who's the jack of all trades in college who isn't really elite at anything, it, it, or doesn't also have really elite athleticism. Like I'm a little concerned that if you're that kind of guy, you kind of end up not being able to do anything all that well in the NBA. That's that's
0: you know fair. I, I don't necessarily agree. I kind of like the Jackson. Comparison, even though they're opposites, as you kind of touched on at the same time, I think Colvar. You know, I nickname him Silk for a reason. Everything's just smooth out there. He looks, yep. you know, something that you and I talk about quite a lot. He looks like a basketballer that can play basketball the right way. Yep. I think the the knocks on him, as you said at the end, there are probably more athleticism wise, and and how good can he possibly be, even though he is a high IQ guy to be picked this high in the draft. But for me, you know, when I'm doing this, he's the line there where it just really dictates how bad this draft is because, you know, he's four in my big board at the moment. And that doesn't mean that I don't necessarily agree with a lot of what you're saying in terms of the danger at picking someone like that this high in the draft. He's just such a smooth player that he kind of goes above a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about next just because I see him as a... I guess, a high-floor guy that's going to be able to come in and and do what he did in college this season. I can kind of trust some of the things that I know he's going to come into the pros and and be able to do, whereas a lot of these other guys – there's not much that I trust, like it's all potential and, and maybe. So that's why he's that high for me. But yeah, I agree, you know, athleticism wise and, and being able to stick in the NBA with kind of better pros around him and, and up against him. There are some question marks there for sure. I think he's going to be
1: an NBA player. In fact, I'm pretty confident he's going to be an NBA player. The, the comparison that scares me, because when I heard this, I didn't invent this, I heard it and freaked out a little bit because I was like, oh God, that does seem about right to me. Man, it's a little Evan Turnery. He's a little Evan which is... That's what makes me nervous.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely can agree with that. Which, you know, that's an NBA player. That's mm-hmm. a very overpriced mm-hmm. NBA player currently who managed to get a team to pay, you know, way more for him than they probably should. But, yeah, again... A, at least at that pick, you know, I'm probably not going to use the pick if the Suns are at four and I'm the GM, but mm-hmm. that kind of creates the line for me where you just kind of like, you know, do I really have to pick this guy at number four just because I know he's going to be able to come in and be... An NBA player, like right. that's that's pretty dangerous, and that kind of sums up the draft. But I guess I'll throw the question at you: Who who leaps him? Who have you? Who are you thinking might leap him at at number
1: four at the moment? It, it's just this giant empty space where nothing exists right now. <laughs> uh, but really, oh man, I guess Brandon Clark. I think that guy makes a lot of sense for the Suns. But right now, I don't want to be really held to anything right now. Culver might end up being four or even three for me. It's fluid. Yeah. Um, really, after the first two, I'm just completely lost right now. But yeah, I, I think maybe I think Brandon Clark's name I might throw out. That's the one that comes to the tip of my head. But real quick, though, you touched on trading the pick, and I want to ask you about Trading the pick. Because everyone talks about trading the pick. Yeah. We, uh, we should trade the pick. Trade the pick. Uh, I believe Ali, uh, Cozy on Twitter, has started saying we should draft trade D pick <laughs> if we end up <laughs> Which is, is very funny. And I, I generally agree. But the question I have is, like, you know, the trade has to be there, right? Like, who are you willing to trade this stuff for? So I'm going to run through six point guards for you, and I'm going to ask you, what's what's the highest pick you'd be willing to trade for them uh, in the 2-4 to four range, or, or say you wouldn't be trade, willing to trade any of those? Okay,
0: yeah? I like it.
1: Let's do it. I know your answer already for this one, but how about Drew Holiday? Trade the pick. And that's that's number two, the highest, right? I,
0: I would trade two, and he, you know, I don't know the next five guys he's going to rattle off, but I would say that he's at the highest, and that's just a mix of the boxes that I like to tick next to Devin Booker, plus age, Plus contract, you know, again, I'm not sure who you're going to mention, but it's quite often looked over. I think Drew has two full years left on his deal, which is, you know, pretty enticing when you're trading a pick of this value.
1: And don't spend too much time comparing these guys to each other because then you'll ruin time and or less.
0: (laughs) Okay. Bradley Beal. For number two, I get to... Pick what I'm trading it for.
1: Would you basically what, what the, what's the highest one you
0: trade? In a push, I'd probably trade two. All right, Kyle Lowry. Ooh, I'm very sour on Kyle Lowry from a value standpoint. Although I would be lying if I didn't say that the other day, watching them uh, and Toronto's fan base turning on him, I kind of thought, yeah, you know, playoff Kyle Lowry is obviously a whole nother thing. But the Suns kind of need to get to the playoffs first. So as a buy low candidate. If Toronto were kind of clearing house a little bit, I definitely wouldn't trade two, but I'd look in that three to seven range for sure.
1: All right. By the way, I agree with everything you're saying so far. Uh, Mike Conley.
0: Mike Conley's a tough one. I- I've almost put a line through him just because of some of James Jones's quotes, but... You know, we can't always trust GMs. I had that same point about David Griffin and Drew Holiday earlier this week.
1: And you get to be the GM now, David.
0: I'm the GM now, so if it's not really projecting what the Suns would do and it was me, I would probably trade the third pick in the draft for Mike Conley just because I think he's only got one fully guaranteed year on his deal. Spencer Dinwiddie. Ooh, Spencer, Spencer, Spencer. This is where you don't want to get into crazy territory where you're like, yeah, trade the fourth pick in the draft for Spencer Dinwiddie. Right. Um, I think there's a second kind of line for me after that, you know, sixth or seventh pick where you're starting to kind of go, yeah, I'd rather just a plug and play rotation guy on a good deal. So I'd probably look at the seventh or eighth pick in the draft,
1: Max. I'm guessing you'll be similar on this one. Goran, Dragic. Goran Dragic. <laughs>
0: I'll edit that one out for you. <laughs> I am going to cheat here, and I'm going to back-channel my way to Goran and tell him to opt out of his
1: <laughs> player
0: option, and we'll sign him in free agency instead.
1: So my point of the exercise is really to say, yeah, if you can get Drew Holiday or Bradley Beal, trade D pick. But if you're looking at Spencer one or your Goran Jogic, maybe? Maybe? <laughs> it depends on what pick you got, you know?
0: Yeah, and I still think, you know, as kind of negative as we've been and we'll probably have some more specific pods on these guys guys like rj barrett and john Morant, like they have warning signs there but you know that's the second and third pick in the draft like you want a really damn good player if you're giving up you know four five six cost controlled years on guys like this if they turn out so whilst there is some danger there you know, you can kind of go too far the other way and, and make a, a bad trade out of, out of desperation. But something you and I have spoken quite about a bit on privately is at some point with this core, with the pieces that you've got and that you're, you know, kind of content with, you kind of have to stop taking on young talent, Max.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Uh, real quick, because we the whole point of this was supposed to be a hypothetical offseason. We haven't done that at all with picks two through four yet. <laughs> uh, I, for me, I think I build around Morant and RJ, who I think we should focus on because they're you know the ones that we'd probably pick two or three. I build mm-hmm. around them very similarly. Um, I, th- I think they're both going to be initiators along with Booker. They're kind of I don't know if RJ's going to end up being a point guard or not, but I could see that kind of being the pseudo backcourt. I guess RJ and Booker. Yeah. Same with Morant and Booker. Obviously, would be the backcourt. For me, I, no, no matter what, I'm still looking for better guard play, so I'm looking for to upgrade you know, the point guard position or whatever. I'd, I'd love to bring either one of those guys off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's Tyler, it's Tyler, but it, you'd like it to be better than Tyler? Yeah. And then I think, I think like I said, I alluded to earlier, I'd bring back Oubre 100% in either scenario.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I would throw RJ in with Zion in terms of clearing out the other wings on the roster. If you end up drafting mm-hmm. a guy like RJ, play him off the bench, give him all those wing minutes that he needs as a guy with the ball in his hand I think you know and and kind of hope that he's a much better version of what we saw of Josh Jackson in that role for most parts of of this season um I'm as I said I've kind of gone out at length I'm, I'm betting on the upside of a guy like RJ and you'd be doing the same with Jar um, but I wouldn't start either of them as you said you know maybe bring in a a Augustine type of Fred Van Viet type to come in on a, a two, three year deal and, and start next to Booker if you draft a guy like John Morant. But yeah, I think that's kind of the way forward. If you do land at two or three in the draft is, is being prepared to take one of these guys, putting enough pieces in the team that they can kind of come off the bench. And you know, my, my final point that I've got down here highlighted Max is make them take the starting spot. Mm-hmm. We've had too many rookies in the last two or three years who have been gifted these Positions And, you know, people, lots of people were very critical of, of Igor with Mikhail Bridges, for instance, this season. But, you know, he kind of made him earn the minutes every minute that he got. And, you know, he really, unless there was really bad injury scenarios, he didn't just gift him those starting spots um, all the time. And, and you know, he, he earned the spot. And and that's what I'd be doing with any guy that they draft outside of Zion. Zion starts yeah. straight away.
1: I think, I think the thing there, because uh, I was one of those people was that, yeah, you want the rookie to earn the spot, but it's not like the the old guys in front of him were earning their spot. <laughs> so it's, it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I think he earned it, but I think he earned it maybe a little earlier than uh, Igor allowed him to sneak in.
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, bring in, my point there is bring in better players where it actually becomes oh yeah, yep. a thing that he has to do rather than it, or, you know, by default him already becoming better than the other alternatives there. Yeah,
1: I'm never going to disagree with bring in better
0: players. <laughs> That's my GM slogan if I ever got <laughs> The job bring in better players. That's
1: a pretty good one. I, I support you. <laughs> Pick five through seven. This one's going to be pretty short. I, th- I think cause we're like you mentioned. Maybe like already mentioned a few times. We're going to look at these guys in depth over the next few weeks. Yes. I, I think again, trade the picture if it's a player we want. Uh, but at that point, five through seven, you're not getting Drew Holiday, you're not getting Bradley Beal, so you're you know, you're gonna trade for Cintor Dinwiddie, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'll just mention a couple guys in my general lean here, like Darius Garland's going to be a guy I talked about. Brandon Clark I mentioned. Jarrett Culver. This is where Cam Reddish becomes obviously in the discussion, and you know, it's going to be that's going to be polarizing at, at the very least. Yep. Um, my general lean here, I'm going to prefer low usage players as a tiebreaker than players who are going to have the ball in their hands a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think, you know, Mikel Bridges rather than Josh Jackson, which maybe is too obvious. I would say Mikel Bridges rather than even like early Booker. You, You want guys who are going to be able to learn how to play basketball without destroying your team while they're doing it. So that's going to be my general lean.
0: I think that's a great point, yeah, and particularly putting those two guys up against each other. What we saw the Suns do last draft with their trade for Mikhail Bridges, that's the kind of guys that they should be looking for. And mm-hmm. I'd probably just jump on the back of that point and say, as Suns people, if we're projecting out what they might do if they're in that range, I'd look for them to take kind of ready made guys like Mikhail. Yeah, You know, so the names there are probably, you know, Hunter, Clark, Williams, yep. you know, all guys that are north of twenty years old and that might come in and, and be able to play a role, even if it's only in 10, 15 minutes a night that, you know, they're not going to hurt the team like a Josh Jackson when you're trying to give them reps, they're just going to go out there and, and do what they do. So, yeah, you know, even though it's, I'm higher than most on a guy like Cam Reddish, I think even that would be, you know, you're picking him for potential over over production. So you could throw a blanket over probably 10 to 15 names here, as you said, Max. And yep. the only other point I'd make is there's probably guys like uh, Goga, uh, Hayes from from my team, Texas, and and maybe even a guy like Bol Bol. I just think there's guys, you know, bigs in, in particular, and then maybe some shooting guards, high usage shooting guards as well that you can basically just cross out if the Suns are in that range because of what they've already got. From
1: your team. How how many Texas Longhorns basketball games do you watch this season, David?
0: (laughs) I do actually try and catch them as much as possible, Max, but uh, I'll be watching more Arizona next year, as I
1: said on Twitter earlier this week. Let's not get into that. I don't don't want to talk about that right now. Let me just add...
0: (laughs) Let me throw, I, I guess we'll end this section with a couple of questions towards you. Who do you think, and, and we are early in this scenario, we're probably a little bit behind those that follow the draft all year, but you know, as we said earlier with our key dates, we're going to have plenty of time to catch up here. But right now, who do you think you're higher than the general consensus out there that you've seen uh, with a particular prospect? Uh,
1: good question. I think Brandon Clark. Um, I'm going to be one of those people yelling about him. Yep. Uh, people are going to be like, oh, he's old blah 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 he's somebody who gets better every single year and is already good and will be good right away Mm -hmm. next day and I just think it makes a lot of sense and then I think I'm really going to like Darius Garland because uh, you know my man crushes Damian Lillard I love guards who can shoot yep uh, off the dribble, and he can do that already. There's some other problems with him, but if you could shoot off the dribble, you're, in my mind, you're a lot of the way there already. Yep. How about you?
0: What about lower? Give me a lower one first, because I'm seeing some maybe trends here.
1: I, You know, even though he kind of passes my low usage test, at least early on, Cam Reddish, you know, I'm low on him. I just don't think he has the uh, attitude sort of thing that I want in this scene. I, I want guys who are going to bring themselves along, not guys who require development. I just, although Igor showed some, some stuff there, I, I still think the Suns organization is not the best player development organization. Yep. And then I'm going to be lower... I, uh, so A guy like Kevin Porter Jr. maybe. Yep. Even though I think he's really tantalizing, I, just, I cannot see him working on the Suns at all early on. That is the correct answer because... Ask the two questions to me, Max. (laughs) Who who are you higher on for the Suns uh, in this range, David? Cam Reddish. (laughs) I know you love Cam. EDM
0: is my nickname for him, which is probably my favorite out of all of the nicknames that I've got so far.
1: So what what does that mean? All right, so
0: EDM is electronic dance music, obviously, for those music lovers out there, which everything tells me that I should hate that genre. But every now and then there's a song that I absolutely love, and that is (laughs) Cam Reddish for me. I love it. And the perfect uh, layer on top of that is... EDM is Enes del Mar in initial format, which anyone who's seen Brokeback Mountain, there's a famous quote from that film, which I am a big fan of, and that is, I can't quit you. And that is me (laughs) to Cam Reddish right now, Max.
1: Wow. Well, you know what? Actually, my brother was saying to me earlier today, we don't disagree enough on this podcast, so I'm glad we have something to disagree on. I will say, I do think that guy can I don't think, I watch him He definitely is going to be able to shoot he, His shot is gorgeous So somebody who loves shooting We're going to talk about shooting later That is the one thing about him that's tantalizing Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm higher on him as a defender too So I think that's okay. why I, I still really love Cam Reddish But yep, ask me the next question
1: Yeah, who are you low on? Darius Garland <laughs> nice. I like this, we're going to fight a little bit we are. Why are you low on him? This is going to
0: sound really bad off off the back of you know a, a season that Trey Young had, but. Uh, small thin guards who struggle to finish around the rim and have health concerns before they're even a pro is no 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 for me max yeah
1: i mean that's an obviously fair point i, I think darius garland for me is to be one of those head versus heart guys yeah i'm gonna agree in my head with everything you say negatively about him and it's still gonna love him it's not gonna matter yeah he's gonna be
0: he's gonna be your ns Del mar for sure exactly
1: All right, we'll move on to the playoffs up in a second here. But first, David, will you take us through Did You Know?
0: I can, Max. So, unfortunately, some somber news last week with Phoenix head coach John McLeod passing away aged 81. So, Did You Know? McLeod was the longest-tenured coach of the Suns and the winningness coached two, with an overall record of 579 and 543 max. He coached Phoenix from 73 all the way to my birth year 1987, including nine playoff runs and the Suns' first of only two finals appearances in 1976. McLeod was by far the Suns' most successful coach, that his stats are silly when it comes to games coached, wins, playoff appearances, and playoff wins as well. As previously mentioned, his 14 seasons with the Suns, or 1,122 games, are the most by any coach. McLeod accounts for 27.1% of total Suns games coach max. That's only 0.5 of a percent off Jimmy Fredette's field goal percentage this season, Max, of 27.6%. He also coached 579 wins compared to 1,607 from 18 other coaches of the Suns. Again, roughly a 26 to 27% of the total amount and more wins than Rashawn Holmes had points this season, Max, who had 572 for those playing along. McLeod also coached 81 playoff games for the Suns, the same number of years he lived. He owns 39 of the Suns' 133 playoff wins, the same number as years Jamal Crawford has currently lived, Max. But Max, I haven't thrown a test your way yet, so now seems the perfect time. John McLeod is one of 15 Suns in the Ring of Honour. I'm going to put you on the spot here. How many of the other 14 in the ring can you name?
1: Oh, God. Uh, Walter Davis. One. Paul Westfall.
0: Two. Uh,
1: those are the obvious ones. Nash.
0: Three.
1: Uh, Kevin Johnson. Four. Charles Barkley. Five. Dan Marley. Six. Dick Van Arstale. Seven. Connie Hawkins. Eight. Um, does Marion get in yet? No. That's embarrassing. They need to put him in. Yep. Um, Shoot. I'm probably missing some obvious ones, but I'm going to leave it there because that was long enough.
0: That was long enough, and you did pretty well, probably better than I would off the top of my head for sure. So to end, Max, we're going to call this exercise Six Degrees of John McLeod to show (laughs) just how much his fingerprints are all over this franchise. So there are four non-playing members of the Suns' Ring of Honor, plus McLeod. They are, of course, Jerry Colangelo, Cotton Fitzsimmons, Al McCoy, and Joe Prosky. Colangelo, of course, hired McLeod out of college with Oklahoma and then fired McLeod many years later during the drug saga that plagued the Suns' team. Fitzsimmons, interestingly, had his two main coaching stints either side of McLeod's 14-year tenure, first becoming the head coach in 70-72, and then again in 88-92, Max. Prosky joined the team in its inception, just five years before McLeod as the athletic trainer in the foundational year of 68, as I said, and remained all the way through McLeod's stint with the Suns. While McCoy joined one year before in 72 and remains until this day, although the newest member of the Suns' Ring of Honor might be ready to call it a day, it seems. And Max, that leaves 10 players in the Ring of Honor. Mm. Alvin Adams played college ball for McLeod at Oklahoma before being drafted by the Suns. Connie Hawkins played eight games for McLeod in 73 before being traded to the Lakers for Keith Erickson and a second-round pick... Adams, Walter Davis, Dick Van Arsdale and Paul Westpall all went on to play under Coach McLeod through the late 70s glory days while Van Arsdale also finished the 14th season McLeod started as coach in 87. Even Kevin Johnson has a direct link. McLeod came back in 99 as an assistant coach where Kevin Johnson led the team with Scott Skiles as coach after Danny Ainge was sacked and they went to the second round. Side note here, Max, and you touched on it briefly before, Sean Marion was a rookie that year, and he should be the 16th member of the Ring of Honor, as you said. Then there's Steve Nash. McLeod was the 13th Ring of Honor member inducted, which just happens to be the number Steve Nash wore, who was the 14th member of the Ring of Honor. And, of course, 14 is the amount of seasons McLeod coached. So, Max, for those following along, that leaves Chambers, Barkley and Marley as the only Ring of Honor members without a direct link to John McLeod that I at least know of. Just 20% of the total ring. But I'll leave you with this. Chambers wore 24, Barkley wore 34, and Marley wore 9. Together, those add up to 67. 1967 was the last year that the Phoenix Suns didn't exist in the NBA, Max. They had Five coaching changes in their first five years before hiring McLeod, and he has had a major say in the Suns' legacy ever since. So that's it for this week, Max. Hopefully you and the listeners enjoyed that little look back over McLeod's Suns' career. And fitting that we now go into some playoff observations given how successful he was as a coach. Two quick
1: reactions. The first one is I cannot believe he coached that long. That is a very long time that he is. uh, That tenure from the 70s to the 80s, that's a long one. Yep. The other one is that I went to Al McCoy's Hall of Fame, or sorry, Ring of Honor induction game. So I can't believe I didn't get him. That's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll let you off the hook for putting you on the spot there.
1: Yeah, that's bad. Uh, all right, yeah. So we're gonna move into playoffs. Um, like we said earlier, we're gonna try to have some Suns tie-ins here. Yeah. And these are kind of just random playoff observations. So first one, this is the one that came from a listener. The only one we didn't come up with ourselves. It's from Mo at Baba Yetu underscore on Twitter. Great question he asks. Similar to what you've discussed before, David, what playoff outcomes uh, would benefit the Phoenix Suns the most? Since you've been on this, do you want to lead off?
0: I can. I mean, I won't go over old ground too much, but I'm definitely looking at teams like Indiana and Utah that are struggling to score in the playoffs, Max. And then probably not a direct link here, but... You know, I wanted to mention, you know, something like, I don't think Toronto are going to lose to Orlando in the first round, for instance, but we might get into the East a little bit later. Mm -hmm. If Toronto struggle, maybe get knocked out in the second round and decide to, you know, and Kawhi looks like he's going to leave, as we touched on earlier, that might mean that they trade a guy like Kyle Lowry, whether that has a link to the Suns or not, I don't know. But I think that Mm -hmm. kind of starts a chain reaction throughout the whole league And, you know, more player movement and, you know, more teams wanting to get high draft picks, for instance, is going to benefit the Phoenix Suns. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking at teams that are struggling to score for, you know, I guess trades for, say, a guy like TJ Warren, and then just chaos to kind of create an offseason that the Suns might be able to benefit from.
1: Yeah, my point here is that I think chaos is generally the right answer, but I think there are times when it's not what you want. You want the organized chaos in a way that benefits the Suns. For example. You wouldn't want Portland to go to the finals and win, I don't think, because we, we both think Aminu would be a really nice target for the Suns yep. uh, in certain scenarios, and if, if Portland goes to the finals, they're more likely to bring their entire team back, so... What you're really looking at is you're looking for... Ros- you want the rosters, the teams, uh, with the players you don't want to go far. <laughs> you want the rosters, the players you want to uh, fail early.
0: Yeah, that's definitely... If we've got our son's hat on, that's that's the way you should be looking at the playoffs for sure.
1: Yeah, I think one that's going to... I'll only highlight one because we, uh, we're going to spend a ton of time on this. But I think the East is going to be really interesting on this because Boston versus Milwaukee... Like, I think you want more of the guys in Milwaukee's roster. But Chaos Theory, you, I think you want Kyrie to leave Boston... So I think it's a tough one. So there's some that come down to it, and you're like, it's it's tough to figure out what you'd want as a Suns fan. Yeah,
0: every round that Boston goes on and, and his teammates step up to the plate is going to make it harder
1: and harder for Kyrie Irving to leave. So um, Yeah, and harder and harder for them to move on from Rozier, which I don't think we want them to move on from Rozier. We want them <laughs> to stay with him forever. Exactly. So, yeah, so right, I think we can go ahead and move on. The only last one I'll, I'll, I'll make the point on, because I always thought about Lowry, I think Toronto versus Philadelphia is another one that'd be tough to assess because people have Tobias Harris dreams. But I think the dreams, I think Kyle Lowry dreams are more realistic, so I think I'd root for Philadelphia there.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I'll probably throw into my first observation here, Max, which yep. is more of a, a statement than a question, although I'm going to throw something in, in your way at the end. But just the kind of polarizing nature of the two eight seeds here. I think Detroit are likely out in a sweep you know Blake not being able to play those first couple of games is is really disappointing after you know being the reason that they got there and then you know the clippers you know after losing today are probably likely to to go out in kind of the best 4-1 defeat that we've seen in the playoffs in in some time. And it kind of, those two stories are so different. You know, this is projecting forward a little bit, maybe next season, maybe the season after, but, you know, it just goes to show the Suns building the right way and sneaking into the playoffs. I think, you know, if you could do it like the Clippers with, you know, some good players playing above themselves, uh, some rookies playing, you know, rotation minutes or young guys, at least, you know, Shamit, SGA, SGA. I think I even saw Jerome Robinson out there for some pretty extended minutes today. So, you know, that's kind of the right way. Whereas if you trade for a guy like Blake Griffin, just sneak into the eighth slot and then get wiped by the top seed and then don't really have any kind of future with that core that got you there, that's kind of the wrong way to get to the playoffs. And I just, as a Suns fan, seeing those two polarizing things was, uh, it was kind of a stark contrast for me, Max.
1: Yeah, that's a really nice point. Not not all eight seeds are created equal. Not all eight seeds that get blown out even are created equal. Yeah. Uh, the, Cl- the Clippers have an incredibly promising future. Detroit maybe has one of the worst futures in the league. So that's a really interesting point. I like that one. So I'll
0: throw the question at you. I have thrown it at you before, but I'm not sure you gave me a, yep. a full answer to it. And I do want the listeners to consider the question as well. But guaranteeing health next year, if I could do that, how much would you pay did the, the playoff version of Patrick Beverly that we've seen.
1: Oh, so so I, I mean I can't assume he's going to be as good as his best game, but just generally he's playing this way sort of thing.
0: Yeah, we get we get, you know, 70, 70 starting
1: games at that intensity next year for the Suns. Ooh, man, that's worth so much. I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to sound nuts here. I you know, 13 14 million dollars a year. I, I
0: don't think it's nuts at all because the the point for me is like outside of some of those max free agents. Mm-hmm. If it was a guy that you could guarantee this production and 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 complete health out of which obviously you can never do but I don't think there's any better signing for the Phoenix Suns in the offseason just from all the things that he brings and intangible things that we've harped on quite a lot that the Suns really need with this young core. A hundred
1: percent. You're not paying for his production statistically. You're paying for the fact that every other player in your roster is going to be better on a night-to-night basis. Exactly. Uh, that's, it's yeah. kind of hard to value that uh, other than say a lot. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next point. Then This is another one that's just kind of like an obvious point sort of, but I think that the playoffs are just making it glaring. You have to be able to shoot in the NBA these days, David. <laughs> the bottom seven playoff teams in three-point percentage so far, Orlando, Indiana, Brooklyn, Detroit, Philadelphia, OKC, and Utah with 25.5% from three. Uh, I think that's that's a little telling, right? Those teams are all kind of struggling a little bit. Some of them are already eliminated.
0: <laughs> yep, a, a game I was watching earlier today, even though they eventually lost. You know, Even seeing a guy like Landry Shamet be able to hit a couple of threes in a short space of time while... You know, Kevin Durant was going up the other end and basically hitting everything that he was throwing up there. Is that's how you get blown out very quickly if you can't make shots in the playoffs. You know, you you end up with a insurmountable lead. It, you know, I guess thirty-one points wasn't enough for the Clippers the other night. But you know, I just think you you need guys that can make shots. Uh, watching the game down the stretch, the Utah um, Houston game. You know, they were. Utah just couldn't make shots and yep. and that kind of allowed Houston to get back in the game when, you know, a game that they really shouldn't have been anywhere near to a start. A 3-for-20 so,
1: Harden game.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So even though he tried to deny that he had no idea that, it, you know, he was 0-for-15 to start the yeah. game. Which Bullshit. I, I <laughs> yeah, maybe you maybe didn't know
1: exactly that was 15, but you know you didn't make a shot yet, James. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So, yeah, I think a great point by you and, and a great tie into the Suns again. That's what we have to prioritize when it comes to you know drafting guys which i think we saw the last regime maybe think about with a guy like mikhail bridges low usage should be a good shooter in the nba mm-hmm. and then any free agent acquisition i just think can basically put a lot unless it's like a end of the bench minimum big to be your kind of third big or something i just think just draw a line through any guy that can't shoot because the Suns are already depleted of, of that skill on the roster, and everyone... Well, David,
1: I'm going to call you on this a little bit, because I know that you're a big fan of the Suns getting Ricky Rubio. And I had that thought in my head when I was watching that game. I was like, man, do we really want this guy?
0: <laughs> yep, and that, you know, again, a guy like Derek Favors ties into this point as well. I have well. him written down too. <laughs> yep, I think it ties into this point where, you know, Utah are a great regular season team, Max. It just This gets magnified in the playoffs, and I think... A mistake we've made, uh, I've definitely made in the past, and the fan base has made, and the front office has even made in the past too, is thinking in absolutes and and going for that best case scenario all the time, and therefore ending up with nothing. Mm-hmm. I've definitely cooled on a guy like Ricky Rubio because I think this season compared to last, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I think he was a more confident shooter at least last season, and um, it kind of helped the balance with a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who I guess is quite similar in some ways to Devin Booker, but...
1: Mmm, I don't like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, from a high-usage right, shooting no, guard nah, standpoint. But, you know, I've definitely cooled on Rubio, but at the right price, I, I wouldn't kind of turn my nose up at him because of some of the other things that he does. And the Suns need to build what might be a playoff team before they think about, you know, what might lose a first-round matchup or something like that. Yeah,
1: my point is not so much that they shouldn't uh, sign Ricky Rubio. It's more that I think when we're we're comparing pro and cons on guys, maybe instead of having shooting be, you know, one con as compared to the rest of the pros and cons, maybe we should put that like a con times five. Like that should be the biggest thing that we're looking at first. And then does the rest of everything else justify that one gaping hole that's more important than anything else sort of thing?
0: Yeah, I always talk about those boxes with Devin Booker, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of secondary playmaking, shooting, you know, off the ball shooting and, and defense. And, you know, I've probably always put shooting in the third tier of those three things but i think the leap that we saw from devon as a playmaker and then i guess always needing to prioritize defense maybe first unless the offense is amazing which it wouldn't be in the case of ricky rubio um yeah i think maybe shooting needs to come up a rung there and the playmaking part of it can be a little less featured which i guess is something that i learned this season and and I guess the, the want of a guy like Ricky Rubio who can come in and is already familiar with Igor, you know, maybe doesn't need to be as prioritized as I was doing earlier in the season, Max. Yeah,
1: I agree. I, I, think, I think what this is is like, I think when we evaluate for agents, I think the first question every single time in my brain's going to be, can he shoot? Yeah. That's just going to be the first question. Uh, David, next one. You want to make a point about bigs in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, very similar to your shooting point, I think. I'll throw the question right out. Off the top of your head, and I've done this to you a lot this episode, so apologies in advance, but <laughs> who, who are the best three bigs in the playoffs so far?
1: Uh, so far, I would say Al Horford, Clint Capella, and I'm. this is going to sound crazy, but Brooke Lopez, I my mean, impact metrics, has been ridiculous.
0: Yep, he has. He he definitely popped up when I was kind of looking at this question myself. So, yeah, that's interesting from mm-hmm. a, a standpoint of who those players are and, and the role that they play in offense versus their kind of, I guess, star guys that they're built around. And then, I guess, the guys that we're not mentioning, you know, you've got Embiid, who had a big game last game, but his health and, I guess, overall fit with that team is a little bit questionable. It kind of seems like it has to be you know He's either going and the rest of the team isn't or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen Rudy Gobert get totally schemed out and be a, a non-factor on offense, which is a worry. Uh, Drummond was a non-factor, even though I'm not sure it's entirely his fault, but it's still a concern for that team. Uh, Boogie obviously got hurt in his first matchup. Jokic has gotten better as it's gone on, but you know his percentages versus regular season are down and his overall aggression is a, a, a little bit of a worry with that Denver team who kind of needs him to be the alpha dog on that team. Uh, Steven Adams is the real underwhelming one for me. He's kind of, I guess, indicative of his whole season just being in the background a little bit. Uh, Vucevic is shooting 38% in the playoffs, Max. I think there's a game going on at the moment. Maybe he's proven me wrong in that one, but uh, he's been pretty much a disaster in that series for the Magic so far. And Turner and Sabonis are just a kind of big fat no in that series against yeah. the Celtics. They kind of killed them in that series getting swept. So I guess tying in Ayton, I suppose, to this discussion, I think it says a lot about what he needs to improve on uh, when the Suns are a playoff team, hopefully, because the bigs in these in these playoffs, at least that we've seen so far, have not been the traditional guys that you would think that were kind of putting teams on their back. they have been more those kind of complementary pieces that are coming to the fore around those stars.
1: Yeah, bigs are more and more becoming more of a, as you said, complementary, a facilitator kind of piece yep. on an offense and on a team. Uh, defensively, obviously, they're still very important. The the ability to, they're important in a certain way, right? Because as we said, Gobert's getting schemed out of things, kind of on both sides of the floor a lot of the time. And he that's still is a good refresher. You know, if someone's driving straight at him. Yeah. But, but man, Houston's like is the worst matchup for him because they really exploit the fact that that dude just can't get out. And guard guys on the Premier really. Exactly.
0: And I, I was really critical of Igor not playing that Utah type defense to help DeAndre out as a defender and just yeah. make things more simple for him. But we're seeing it in these playoffs. Like, what would that have done for DeAndre Ayton's progression? you know, going forward two or three years, Max, if that just means that then the playoffs come and he has no fucking idea how to guard out on the perimeter, then, you know, you haven't done him a favor at all. So again, Igor's taken a hit there to, you know, probably his own coaching prowess as well by just putting DeAndre out there and, and we kind of saw some good results it wasn't all great it was very mixed but you know that's one reason why Ayton might be able to fare better in the playoffs than some of these guys because he is going to be able to get out there and you know be more of a factor on offense than a guy like Rudy Gobert as well Max.
1: I've long said that DeAndre is the most important skill to me and my, the thing I like about him most as a prospect is his uh, lateral movement ability on defense. Yeah, The fact that he really can just be more of a big wing defender than he is a traditional big defender Uh, I think that's key with him and I think it's key to get somebody next to him who's going to be like a weak side shot blocker guy which is why I love the Zion fit people think Zion don't work I don't get it uh, but let's move on, David. Um, let's move into. I have a couple of random Eastern Conference, Western Conference playoffs things for you. Let's do it. To start with the Eastern Conference. I, I think the most fascinating question all season on this has been and remains: what's going to happen with the four giants—Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about this before, but you know, now we've seen them in the playoffs, things have changed a little bit. I want you to rank them. Uh, start with four. Out of the one, the one that you trust the most to make it out of the the conference. Uh, start from least trustworthy to most trustworthy for you.
0: Okay, there's probably two that have flipped here in my ranking, so I think I was a little wrong on Toronto, hmm. who I would put at number four out of this little group. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that the group here is Milwaukee-Boston. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry about it being
1: clear, but yes, that is the
0: <laughs> They were the, the top four finishers in the conference, so yep, yeah, that is very clear to me at least, and I'm sure it was clear to everyone listening along as well. So yeah, Toronto looks shaky. I think you know, we've seen playoff Lowry... Kawhi even had a a pretty bad game. I think I've always been too high on Kawhi just flicking the switch come playoff time. I think probably something to learn there um, that, you know, other than a guy like Andre Iguodala, I think regular season form generally depicts what's going to happen in the playoffs for most of these guys from a kind of output standpoint. So, you know, I'm a little worried about him. And, you know, obviously Pascal Siakam has probably been their best player, which as great of a story that is, I don't think you can be overly confident going into a conference finals or a finals with you know him being the best player on your team when you've got guys like Cap Kyle Lowry and, and Kawhi there as well. So I'd rank them four max. I'd put Philly three. Looks like things are coming together for them, but you know, Embiid's health is a concern. Brooklyn kind of taking them all the way in most of these games is a bit of a concern. And you know, even though I've loved the way that Ben Simmons has played Uh, It just kind of seems to be a different guy each game all the time, which is great from a, I guess, variability standpoint, but you know, when you want to just be counting on um, what you can believe in going forward, I'm a little bit worried about Philadelphia. Boston, I was wrong. I think I was wrong on Boston, Max. I think I was too tough on them. Um, It's a shame that in both conferences, we're probably going to get Milwaukee, Boston, and uh, Golden State, Houston in the in the second round instead of the the two finals matchups there, Max. But um, I think I saw you earlier today. Note that Boston could be a little bit of a scary proposition for the Bucks, but I've still got the Bucks number one. I think every you know they've been very limited question marks to what they've done so far, even though Detroit was the the opponent. So that's how I'd rank them, Max. I'm not sure if you would be any different.
1: Pretty close. My only difference is I have Philadelphia four, Toronto three. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the real story of this so far is that Boston's sort of flexing. Um, they have Kyrie Irving. I, I think we all kind of overlooked that a little bit. Kyrie Irving is, in the Eastern Conference, by far the greatest, the best, like you know, in the game closer. Yeah. On any of these teams It's not even close. So, in close games, you have to give every single lean to Boston every single time. Uh, Giannis is obviously Giannis. He's going to be the best player. But, you know, with three minutes left... If, if you shade him out, you know, you, you make sure you have uh, multiple of those bosses' wings, not letting him really penetrate. Yeah, I, It's going to be tough at, at times. I, I just don't think anybody could ever stop Kyrie, ever. So, so they're going to get better shots. It's going to be really interesting to see. But generally, I agree with you. I still have Milwaukee 1. I think they're going to win the conference, but... The
0: the start of that series, which I guess is what you were alluding to earlier today on Mm. Twitter, is is gonna be so crucial. You could kind of Boston's
1: gonna win game one, dude. Yeah,
0: and that's gonna, you know, potentially start the the chain reaction of things maybe falling apart a little bit and guys trying to do too much rather than, you know, relying on you know, this is from a Milwaukee standpoint, relying on what they've done all season. So that's gonna be fascinating to watch and uh, I guess we're just getting the better matchups a, a little earlier in the playoffs. Which... It really makes
1: it reminds me of those Sun Spurs series so much. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I just think the Boston obviously playing the Spurs and Milwaukee playing the Suns. Just the overwhelming talent, but just they're just going to get beat because of you know just the little things. The the better the better coach slightly, but Bud's good. But I think Stevens is still a little better. Yeah. Uh, you just have the, the better defenders. You have that one guy like Tony Parker, Kyrie. You just can't stop. It's going to yeah. be really. It's gonna be a fun series.
0: It really is. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to. I guess the trade off being those both matchups in in both conferences probably being um, just one series earlier than we would have wanted. So
1: here's my question for you in the West. This is going to be shorter. I think the fact that Golden State and Houston are playing each other in the second round, it's just fascinating, obviously. Yep. It throws everything around. So I want to ask you this. Who are you most confident in the entire conference about they're going to make the Western Conference Finals? Which team are you picking? I'll ask you that first, then I'm going to ask you a subsequent question.
0: If it's kind of, if it's a Golden State versus the field type question, I, I'd probably still go in Golden State. Obviously, the okay. the openness of the other side of the bracket, so to speak, is the the interesting thing but you know you look at the teams in in that little pool of of teams and <laughs> none of them spark me with too much confidence max which is why i then go back the other way and yeah. i've still got golden state in a series i think to throw a question back to you this i'm not sure how much this changes it but if houston had home court in that series Would you lean, I mean, I'm not even sure whether you're leaning Golden State or Houston in that series. That's probably the first question. But if the answer is the Warriors, how close is it that you might go the other way if if home court was different?
1: That's a great question. Man, in this modern era with how much these teams shoot and how well these teams know each other, I don't know how much it matters, at at least relative to other series. Yeah, I think it matters less than usual. I have Golden State. About a 60% chance, I'd say, to beat Houston. Which uh, I think probably is, is a little closer than most people would have it. I've been just so impressed by Houston this year. But I mean, I still lean Golden State. I think the interesting part about it, though, is because they're playing each other, uh, the, the question being, you know, who's most likely to make it to the Western Conference Finals, I think had yeah, Denver really come out and, and dominated San Antonio and show that they, you know, kind of are the obvious two seed, I think they would probably be the best answer for that, right? Because they don't have to play against Golden State or Houston. But because, like you said, it's just such a morass over there, I, I don't know, who would you even favor out of those four teams, David? I think I might favor Portland slightly, but I, it's tough.
0: Yeah, I'd probably lean Portland, Max, just from where that series currently sits and I guess the the way that they've gone about it in their first few games. I think, yeah, as I said, it, it's wide open. None of them really put a hell of a lot of confidence into me. Um, San Antonio is an interesting one. I think you know, one thing that I probably got right early on in our predictions before the season started was don't bet against San Antonio, and that, that proves right once again. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing. If they can get over Denver somehow um, and Portland OKC goes to a you know slogfest seven-game series... Uh, it would be an absolute disaster if if San Antonio made the conference finals because I just think that spectacle would be terrible against the Warriors or even Houston. But they would
1: get so uh, annihilated, man. That'd yeah, but I,
0: I could see them getting over their you know their options before cool. that. But yeah, I'm probably leaning Portland, but OKC are probably I guess. The best chance of a, a good matchup against Golden State, yep. potentially in the conference final. So I kind of lean towards them just from a spectacle standpoint. But you know, if I had to bet right now, you know, with my own money, you'd probably have to lean Portland. Do you agree?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I had Portland. Yeah. Um, although, worth noting, to everybody listening, we're recording this before Game Four of that series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thirty minutes. So if OKC comes out and just destroys Portland tonight, then you know maybe things will change a little bit. But, uh, David, you have one last thing to get to before seven seconds or less.
0: I just love watching players in the playoffs, Max, and particularly when my team's not in it. I'm rooting for players more than teams sometimes because I've always got uh, individual biases against teams that I don't like most of the time. So Same. I guess my, my questions here would be not so much guys that you already follow. You know, for me, it would be guys like Patrick Beverly and, and maybe Simmons, but who's the, your favorite surprise player to watch so far?
1: Ooh, surprise players. is tough. I thought you were going to go regular players this little or easily. Surprise player. I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam. Yeah. I knew he was really good. Uh, obviously, but just, I didn't realize just how good he is. He's been, like you said earlier, I think you said he's been like their best player this series really so far. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think why while we've been recording, apparently he's been having an insane game tonight. So maybe he's starting to take that mantle back, but, but Pascal Siakam has been a revelation this season. Uh, I, I really, I want to get into his at some point, not now because we're running out of time, but his upside, I think is an interesting question. I, I want to know what he can be. Yeah,
0: I think it's it's interesting with, with a guy like him, every hurdle in front of him, he just seems to leap and, and go up another level whenever there's a new challenge. And, and this playoffs has kind of certainly shown that. I think, I th- you know, an interesting thing for me, going back to the draft, it, it, why a guy like Suku and uh, Dimboya, I think he's going to get compared a lot to a guy like Pascal Siakam. Um, as an international pro- prospect, and I think size-wise and and skill-wise, he certainly matches up with him. So, yeah, I love Pascal. He he brings the energy, and he's definitely a good one to watch. But probably not a surprise for me because I've been you know loving him all year. Uh, Derek White again, oh, yeah. a, a pretty obvious one, but he's the he's the surprise for me. I'd throw him out there. I think he's shooting sixty four percent or something so far these playoff series. But uh, who's your biggest disappointment to watch? Whether it's a guy that you love that uh, has disappointed you or, or another surprise one Max
1: that's a good question so I sh- I have a lot of schadenfreude on this so it doesn't disappoint me at all it, it makes it actually pleases me yep but uh, I I, I am, even I as a Donovan Mitchell sort of you know skeptic have been surprised at just how bad he has been yeah he has been terrible David like just really bad in every facet of the game he turns the ball over too much he takes really bad shots. It's not just that he's missing good shots. He's just taking really bad shots. Yeah. I, man, it just it really... It, it, listen, he's a second-year player. I'm not saying this is, you know, where he's doomed to be forever. But the fact that he's never been an efficient scorer for any long stretch and he looks like this for the second straight playoffs because... People thought he was good in the last playoffs. Guess what? He actually really wasn't that good. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. I'd be a little bit worried about him if I were a Utah fan. Yeah,
0: it's kind of alternate points here for me on him and, and both tying into Booker. Is I'm definitely taking note of this performance for when Booker finally makes the playoffs and has one bad game and... Um, what might be all over the the Twitter timeline after that with some overreactions because Mitchell seems to get a, a pretty easy ride with some of these things, whether it's to do with his age or you know some false reasonings with you know the team built around him and stuff, which I just think is ridiculous. But uh, the other thing for me is I like to give him a, a little bit of. Uh, leeway particularly because of his age and particularly because of things that we've argued for from Devin Booker's standpoint in terms of uh, I do think that the team around him from an offensive standpoint is not exactly built the best for him even though I think he gets too much leeway sometimes but you know I don't want to fall too far into trashing him too much because of how how much I defend Devin Booker in the same scenario. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. I'd go the same team and, and kind of countryman for me, Joe Ingles, mm-hmm. shooting 23.5% from three max, which is just not going to cut it when no. that's the one thing that you really bring to this team. And, um, you know, I, I guess my personal biases aside, as I mentioned before, against a team like Utah, I, I do love Ingles and it, it's hard to see him, I guess, go through this slump at the most important part of the season.
1: Yeah, it is tough. Uh, all right, David, ready for seven seconds or less?
0: Yep, your time to throw some questions my way, Max.
1: Yep, going to skip the rules. Everyone knows the rules by now. These are pretty easy ones, David. Uh, I'm just going to ask you uh, either ors on players for the Suns of free agency. Mm-hmm. Somewhat to illustrate what we've been talking about all episode long. So not going to be you know rocket science here, but I want to illustrate some points here. So number one, would you rather have Nikola Miritich or Derek Favors in free agency?
0: This one's really tough. If, you, if we're not talking about money and stuff, I'd I'd go Miritich. But I do think, uh, I'm not going to get into it in depth here, but there is a case for Derek Favors on this team next year, Max.
1: There's a case, I agree, for me shooting. What's the first question? Shooting Nicole Miritich then. Yes, that's, that's what I do. Yep. Uh Kyle yep. Lowry or Mike Conley? Ooh.
0: Again, putting everything like cost and things out the window... Can we go and look at who shot better this season, Max, <laughs> to answer that first question? I'd probably my, my gut says Kyle Lowry.
1: I think Kyle Lowry's contract situation is better. Yep. It's a one year for sure, so I think that's probably why. But I think Mike Conley's probably a slightly better player, slightly worse contract. Yeah. This one, I know your answer on this, and I have the opposite answer. So I'm really asking you this as a preview of a debate. I think we're we'll probably end up having some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew Holiday or Bradley Beal. Drew Holiday. Yep, Bradley Beal for me, and that's a preview, because we are going to probably hash that one out at some point. This it,
0: it sounds like we should have just an, an off-season fight episode where we talk about yes. Cam Reddish, Darius Garland, and Drew Holiday slash Bradley Beal, Max.
1: <laughs> yeah, once we settle these things out and we know where we are in these things, we should just have that episode at some point. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I like it. All right, that's it for us. Please, everyone, rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. David, any new reviews?
0: We have not had any new reviews for a while, which I would put on more us than the listeners with our yeah. sporadic episodes. But as you alluded to, and we spoke about quite a bit during this episode, we do have plans for pretty consistent coverage for the next little while leading up to the draft so we'll do our bit and and hopefully the listeners can do theirs and throw a few more reviews our way Max yep
1: we will start doing our part Uh, we just ask that you do yours that's really all we ask on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) alright that's it for us thanks David thank you